Welcome to my canning cellar, episode 12. What I canned when I had nothing in the house to can, plus a little information at the end on pressure cooker versus pressure canner. Finding something to can was pretty easy when I started really canning in 2020. We had lots of tomatoes in our garden, which were basically the only thing that grew. And we had all kinds of squash that we planted in the aged compost pile. My husband had been a dairy farmer for decades, so we have lots of good aged cow manure. So besides the tomatoes and the squash, we were given three cabbage plants from my sister, and I canned a couple pints of that. Now, some people say not to can cabbage, but the only reason I could find is that the canning process tends to intensify the strong odor of the cabbage. That didn't bother me, and my cabbage came out really good. So a very nice couple stopped by and gave us some extra produce, including beets from their huge, gorgeous garden. He was someone my husband knew through farming, and his wife and I met when we went to their home last summer to look at a camper they had for sale. She showed me her very lovely garden, and I vowed right then and there that I would never show her ours. I told her how inexperienced, a.k.a. inept, we had always been at gardening, and so they ended up making several impromptu socially distant visits during the summer, bringing us extra produce that they weren't going to can or freeze. But when all that fresh produce had been exhausted, I had to feed the itch of canning, so I improvised by cleaning out the freezer. We raise our own beef every year, and almost every fall someone gives us venison, and our small chest freezer was packed. There is no room for any extras we may want to stock up on, like bread, or anything else that's bulky. So we had several bags of frozen blueberries, and because the blueberries only had to thaw out and not be parboiled first, I was able to pack them cold into jars and cover with their own juice, put into a cold water bath with enough water to cover the jars, and once it got to a rolling boil, I processed for 15 minutes. I got 16 pints of berries and juice, and five pints of just blueberry juice. We also had many vacuum-sealed bags of dried cherries, but no one around here liked them that well. So I rehydrated them by heating them in water, and then canning them in pint jars, adding the resulting juice in with them. They were also done in the water canner in pints. I processed for 15 minutes, again after the water came up to a rolling boil. And I ended up with eight pints. Because they were still hot from the rehydration, I put them in hot jars and then into hot water in the canner. They are darker than store-bought cherry pie filling, but really good. I do pull a pint out every once in a while just to have a small dish for dessert, and I recently tried some with my morning oatmeal. It made it sweet enough that I didn't rush to find the sugar jar. Another item I canned was pre-cooked frozen chicken strips that were not breaded. I thawed them out and packed them cold into pint jars. I did not add any liquid, and they did make their own during the pressure canning, although they shrunk quite a bit and the liquid didn't cover at all. I got 15 pints. If I do this again using already frozen and then thawed out chicken strips, because I think I still have some buried in my freezer, I'm going to try to pack it down a lot more, and maybe I'll even add a little bit of broth, just so they don't end up looking dry at the top. Recently, my daughter sent me a picture of her lunch. She had taken a pint of the chicken, she added it to a jar of my home canned potatoes and carrots and onions, and said it was really good. I had to laugh to myself when she sent me that picture, 
because at the time I was just eating some plain old deli ham and her lunch looked much better. Since then I have opened up a jar and I heated it with a pint of my canned carrots and topped with my barbecue sauce and I'll talk about condiments in a future episode. So I found the pre-cooked chicken pretty good but soft much like the texture in store-bought cans of chicken. You know the kind of cans that they sell next to the tuna fish. In episode 7, I talked about the venison and hamburg that I pulled out of the freezer to add to beans. And then episode 9, I talked about just doing the meats alone. So when the freezer had enough empty space, I did what I figured any forward-thinking home canner would do. I looked for bulk canned food online. And I say online because, for one thing, I wasn't doing much in-store shopping due to the pandemic, and also the stores I normally go to don't carry the big number 10 cans. So the first bulk food I bought was actually through Amazon, and it was a 101-ounce container of whole cranberry sauce. The ingredients I used were 7 cups of the cranberries, 2 cups of sugar, 1 cup of bottled orange juice, and 2 cups of water, and this was to make some cranberry orange jam. I found that the cranberries had enough natural pectin, so I didn't need to add any extra. As a bonus, the reusable plastic container holds plenty of sugar, and I can see how much is in it. So I brought all the ingredients to a boil in my Dutch oven pan, stirring just occasionally. Then I reduced the heat and let it simmer for about 20 minutes, just to get it to thicken. I had already sterilized my jelly jars, and so I put the hot jam mixture in using the wide mouth canning funnel. I wiped the rims clean, and then I put them in my water bath canner that already had hot water going. And I made sure the water covered the jars by two inches, and then I water bathed them for five minutes. The timer started once the water was at a rolling boil. And you know, you don't need a water bath canner as long as you have a tall enough stock pot with a cover. And if you don't have a bottom rack, you can just use a dish towel. It's just important to not let the jars touch the bare bottom of the pot. And using a water bath is the same concept as using a pressure canner as far as the lids and the rings. You put the lids on and then you only tighten the rings finger tight. After I took my jars out, once they were done processing, I set them on a dish towel on my canning table. And I always use a dish towel so that the shock of the temperature change of a hot jar on perhaps my cold table doesn't cause my jars to crack. The next bulk item food I canned was nacho cheese sauce in the number 10 can, which was 6 pounds 10 ounces. I did macaroni and cheese using it, which I talked about in episode 3. I have since done more macaroni and cheese using plain cheese sauce that also came in a number 10 can. And my spicy mac and cheese has gone over so well that I went and bought two more cans, but I haven't gotten around to doing them yet. What I do like about keeping one of the empty number 10 cans is it holds about three quarts of water, which makes it really easy to know how much I'm putting into my canners, just doing it in one trip. I don't just randomly buy the bulk cans to have the bulk cans. I wait until I find a food item I want at a discounted price, I try not to ever pay full price. I've also bought, at a discount, bulk cans of cream sliced beef and chorizo skillet sausage breakfast mix, which is quite the mouthful to say over and over on this podcast. It took me several tries, but I haven't opened them yet. 
but I will put the links to the sauces and the foods I bought in the notes. Some of the products at the time of this recording were in stock, but this will give you an idea at least of what I bought. And even though I bought the cans of the chorizo and the cream sliced beef, I will do more research before I even try canning them. I just want to be sure of the safety of canning any food, as well as look through different sites on Facebook and online to get first-hand knowledge from anyone who's done it. So those are some examples of what I canned when I have nothing to can. In back referencing episode 10, Where Are All the Jars?, I just want to mention that I scored 22 pint jars, 15 of them wide mouth with the rings, plus 5 loose rings and one lonely lid at our local thrift store the other day. The price was just 50 cents each for the jars, but because we were using our half off discount card along with some other purchases, the whole candy bunch was just $5.50. So don't be afraid to look at thrift stores for your jars or cans or lids. While I was in the store, a worker put out what looked like a great digital pressure cooker. The price was $17.99. I've never had a pressure cooker, and I didn't want one, so I passed on it. But I just want to reiterate that a pressure cooker is not a pressure canner. But it's often said that a pressure canner can be used as a pressure cooker. I got the following information from the Michigan State University Food Preservation website. I don't have any special reason to quote MSU other than it was the first article to pop up when I searched. So I'm quoting, Pressure cookers are one-half to one-third the size of standard pressure canners, causing the heat up and cool down times to be significantly shorter. This difference could lead to an under-processed product, leaving an opportunity for dangerous botulism spores to survive. Another reason using a pressure cooker as a pressure canner is unsafe is that many of them do not have a mechanism to measure the amount of pressure being applied to the jars, or the devices are frequently inaccurate. It is important to know exactly what the pressure inside the canner is in order to process canned goods properly. If there is no gauge, or if it is inaccurate, there is no way to know for sure if your food has been processed long enough or with enough pressure to inactivate botulism spores, end quote. So I guess that means I could use my pressure canner for pressure cooking. And if I ever wanted to do that, I definitely would do more research of the brand of my canner, along with the instructions specific to that brand. Thanks again for coming to my canning cellar. Talk soon. Stay safe.